Well, that was the opening music that is so iconic uh, from John Williams for Star Wars. And uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody that's seen the movie would deny that it's some of the best movie music ever. And I think in, the, in part one of this uh, discussion of Star Wars, we talked about how you, you can just hear a couple notes of that opening and, and know immediately that it's Star Wars. Remember that Remember that old TV show where they would play, like, how many notes do you want to hear? And then they would play a few notes and they would try to guess the, the song. Yes, I do. That was fun. Yeah, that was, it was pretty amazing how you don't have to hear that many notes for a lot of songs and you know right away what it is. Um, and there's a, there's a fair number of films that that's, that's the case. For sure. Especially a lot of John Williams scores. Uh, like Jaws, right? Da-da. <laughs> <laughs> or Bernard Herrmann's music is it another one he did the music for Citizens, Citizen Kane I didn't realize that oh yeah and you were just saying before we started recording that you've watched that from start to finish what yesterday yeah yesterday yeah. such a good movie well this episode is part two of our 200th episode and we're talking about Star Wars and, and this episode we're going to talk about the movie not so much things surrounding the movie and I'd say we're both a little nervous because everybody that's seen Star Wars or a lot of people that have seen Star Wars are fans and will have their own thoughts about this. So this is just Bob and I reminiscing and talking about things that we really like about it and things that maybe we don't like as much, but I think mainly things that we like. You're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net. And on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And thank you to our patrons. It helps us to defray some of the cost of running the show, so we really appreciate that. And it's just fun to have a group of folks that we can chat with and have as part of our community. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend, where it's really spring in full effect. I mean, flowers are out everywhere. The birds are singing. It's wonderful. And this is uh, Bob uh, Johnson in Los Angeles, where we're having wonderful weather as well. Coming everybody back to Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope. And uh, my hope is that we don't misquote or misstate something about the film, because (laughs) I figure that in the world there's probably 2 billion people that have seen it. At least. It's so popular. Oh, my goodness sakes. But I like the idea that we can just kind of talk about the things we really love about the film. And starting with that, I, I, I guess my first th- thought is that when it opens up in, in the beginning, the very opening, where the, where the uh, scroll runs across the screen and then the music begins, and then that enormous warship, space, space warship shows up, uh, that gets me every time. I remember sitting at the Cinerama with you and Ben and Deborah and watching that thinking, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this, ever. And it just went from there to, to so much fun. It's really a fun, fun experience to watch. Really from the get-go, when the fanfare music starts. you see Star Wars and it kind of like fades off into the background and then (laughs) 
we've got that crawl that talks about it's a period of civil war. You know, rebel spaceships uh, striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. And it's like one sentence, you're just like, you're just immediately like sucked into this world. It's all just so immersive in, in the way that things are portrayed on the screen in the first few minutes with the Star Wars logo going off into the distance and then the crawl. And then you've got the rebel spaceship kind of flying over and you're like, whoa, that's cool. And then, and then you get the big, you know, <laughs> Star Destroyer coming over and you're like, holy crap, that's huge. set up that scale of you know you've got one spaceship which looks pretty big and then you get this gigantic thing flying over and the rumble you know the rumble know. of the of the spaceship which it always cracks me up in space movies where they have sound effects in space right because there really would be no sound but you've got to have the sound of the engines and the sound of the laser fire and it's truly setting the stage for future films up through the current time it also sets the stage for the film taking place at, at a time that really doesn't matter. Right, right. It, it's not current, it's not near future, it's not even, it may be millions of years earlier or thousands of years before. It really is totally without any context of our time or our it, knowledge it of time. It makes it timeless, Which right? makes it even yeah, better, too. Yeah, oh yeah. One of the things I used to, to imagine growing up was that this was, this was like um, history for our civilization, but that somehow we got cut off from the Galactic Empire and we're sort of like this lost planet. It gives the opportunity in the way that the story is set up for your imagination to play a big part of the story, which I really, really, really like. Just imagine that maybe the only thing that was a remnant from that time was the black monolith <laughs> from 2001. <laughs> yeah. Go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but I don't plan to do that. Well, the next thing I enjoy is when they... Uh, show the stormtroopers and those those outfits which have lasted through decades whoever designed those was right on in terms of the the uh, effect of that it, it reminds me every time i see it of evil forces on in our world in the past and there's just enough connection to things in our in our history and our in different cultures around the world to to give it that like george was quoted as saying he wanted that patina of immaculate realism and the set designs and the costume designs really lend itself to creating that world of realism. There's sort of that hint of Japanese samurai history 
there's a hint of Nazi Germany and in, in the Empire and, and how they are dressed. Not so much the stormtroopers, but the officers and their uniforms. Oh, Peter Cushing as the Grand Moff Durgan looks like he could have been a part of Rommel's African Corps for for Germany in World War Two. It's just it's it's kind of got that same look, but the but the uh, ability and, and genius of putting that together is amazing to me that someone could create that. Where it really isn't, but it looks like it is. One of the things I've been noticing as I watch movies is how quickly things happen and pacing of them. And and really, in the first 10 minutes of this movie, there's so much that happens. And we meet so many characters so quickly. And, and it really, again, is it, it just immerses you into this world. Within the first 10 minutes, we get that space battle. And then we get the battle on the rebel ship with Princess Leia. Uh, we meet the two droids, uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO. We meet Darth Vader. We, we get a glimpse of Princess Leia and, and we meet her for just a minute before she's hauled off to the cell. And then we're on the planet. Yeah. We just had this big space battle and now we're on this desolate desert planet. George was saying how the movie really only takes place in two locations, Tatooine and the Death Star. But in between those two locations we get these these cool space battles you know we get the space battle at the beginning and then we get the space battle when uh, they're on the millennium falcon they were constrained with budget so i think they had other ideas for locations and whatnot it feels like more than just those two the way that they put it together it does the way they did it and the constraints would have also been the technology to do some of the things that they probably wanted to do which today with with the advancements over that 50s years or more. I'm so excited for Godzilla vs. Kong, that movie that just came out. I love those movies. <laughs> I don't know. They're, I wouldn't say that they're great cinema, but they're just so fun. And uh, Shelby was like, geez, how much of this movie is actually just animated and, and computer generated? I said probably like 95% of it. I know. You look at the, the contrast between something like that movie and then Star Wars, and Star Wars holds up really well compared to modern movies, but just the number of locations that they were able to go to in that movie and just the crazy sets that they had because it was all digital, it's really come so far. But at the same time, I love the way Star Wars builds the, the world. You get this slow introduction to Tatooine where the droids, after escaping the rebel ship through those, es those escape pods, they, they land on the planet. How did we get into this mess? I really don't know how. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. I've got to rest before I fall apart. My joints are almost frozen. What a desolate place this is. Where do you think you're going? Well, I'm not going that way. It's much too rocky. This way is much easier. What makes you think there are settlements over there? Don't get technical with me. What mission? What are you talking about? I've just about had enough of you. Go that way. You'll be malfunctioning within a day, you nearsighted scrap pile. And don't let me catch you following me, begging for help, because you won't get it.
adventures. I'm not going that way. kind of wandering around and then they get picked up by the Jawas and then they're inside the the sand crawler and it just looks like we were talking about in the first part of this podcast episode it looks like a really dirty garage where there's just all these parts and oil dripping down this the walls and it's just so real looking this is again this is all like in the first 10 minutes of the movie (laughs) the thing too is uh, the the opening and what you talked about the speed of the first 10 minutes where we see, meet so many characters and have so much action. Then it transitions to the planet and the whole pace slows down. It really does. It's a completely different feel. You add to that the uh, the look of that crawler. Have you ever read anything or, or, or had anyone talk to you about the hairstyle for Princess Leia? Was there some significance to that? I, you know, because I know uh, Mr. Lucas was a big fan of uh, Flash Gordon and other serials and films from the earlier era and i can't find any character that would have that kind of look um with the hair it's just so unusual this is where i could get myself in trouble because there's people that probably know really know the definitive answer to this <laughs> my understanding is that they he wanted to represent her as being an aristocrat and from a royal family especially when you watch the prequels and how designed hair is and the costumes are I don't know how much of that he had in mind when he was doing episode four, but I do think that he wanted to create a, a very specific look for each characters or cultures. So you've got the Imperial troopers and you've got the Imperial officers and you've got the look of the people on Tatooine and, and that uh, desert look of the Owen family and Luke Skywalker. People in the bar had a, had a certain look, and so I think it was it was really to give her a very distinct and memorable look, and it worked because there were so many. Well, they didn't they weren't called memes in the seventies and eighties, but they might as well have been memes of of Princess Leia's hair and her cinnamon bun rolls. <laughs> yeah, the thing that also keeps me interested in it over time is it's purely a battle between good and evil. I mean, it couldn't be more clear that the Empire represents all that is bad. And here are these people that are the underdogs, the rebels that are gonna that are gonna fight them. And and I think also over time it's become more nuanced. I remember there was a whole thing about how on the Death Star there were thousands or hundreds of thousands of people working and living on the Death Star, and and you don't think about that in the movie because you you just see like rebel troop, you just see imperial troops and officers and. You think that these are all evil people, but it really does. If you think about, you know, real life and how people get swept up in different things, a lot of those people working on the Death Star were just contractors. Or they might even, many times, they might have been captured and become slaves. The movie is is very much a battle between good and evil. And, and if you think about it for any length of time, you start to unravel that that it's not quite that straightforward and simple, which I love. I think that the, there's like another layer there. All good stories have multiple layers. There's the very surface layer, and then there's the other layers that you can dig into. Well, for me, I growing up in the, in the 40s, where uh, every Saturday I would go to the matinee, and there was always a serial. And there were, the serials were always about good and bad, good and evil. It was like 15 minutes 
where the uh, where the good guy or good woman battled these awful people that were out to destroy the world or use a secret weapon, or as we say today, a MacGuffin of some kind. And then at the end, at the end of that fifteen minutes, the hero would apparently die. <laughs> so it was; it, those were not nuanced for uh, an eight-year-old <laughs> sitting in a theater. Okay, so we're on the planet, and the droids have been captured. And then through the droids, we meet the Owen family, and we meet Luke Skywalker, and the droids are up for sale uh, because these Jawas are kind of they kind of scavenge and go around the planet selling uh, things that they find. And, the Owen family needs some new droids because the ones they have are old and they need more help around the farm. Okay, all right, fine. Let's go. Luke, tell your uncle if he gets a translator, be sure it speaks Bocce. Doesn't look like we have much of a choice, but I'll remind him. <laughs> I suppose you're programmed for etiquette and protocol. Protocol? Why, it's my primary function, sir. I am well versed in all the customs. I have no need for a protocol droid. Of course you haven't, sir. Not in an environment such as this. That is why I have been programmed. What I really need is a droid who understands the binary language of moisture evaporators. Evaporators? Sir, my first job was programming binary load lifters, very similar to your evaporators in most respects. Can you speak bocce? Of course I can, sir. It's like a second language to me. I must yeah, All right, him. shut up. I'll take this Shut one. up, sir. Luke! <laughs> Take these two over to the garage, will you? I want them cleaned up for dinner. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on, get to it. All right, come on. And the red one, come on. Well, come on, Red, let's go. Uncle Owen! Yeah? This R2 unit has a bad motivator, look! Hey, what are you trying to push on us? Excuse me, sir, but that R2 unit is in prime condition, a real bargain. Uncle Owen! Yeah? What about that one? What about that blue one? We'll take that one. Yeah, I'm quite sure you'll be very pleased with that one, sir. He really is in first-class condition. I've worked with him before. Here he comes. Okay, let's go. Now, don't you forget this. Why I should stick my neck out for you is quite beyond my capacity. You start to imagine, like, living on this planet and having to use droids to help you, and they're a moisture farm, so they're just pulling water out of the air to, to sell. And Luke Skywalker, I mentioned this in the first part of this show, is he's so whiny, and he's really not that likable when we yeah. first meet him, and you think he's yeah. just kind of this brat. Um, and, you know, he's a teenager. He wants to go off and have adventures because some of his friends have gone off planet and have become star pilots when you, when we first meet luke he's not a very likable character he's whiny he just wants to get the heck out of there his his 
aunt and uncle wanted him to stay one more season to help out because there's so much work to do. And then he can go off. And, and so then he gets huffy and he's complaining about his life to C-3PO. And, and C-3PO is funny because he's seen so much. We don't realize like all of his backstory in this movie, but you know, he's been through a lot. And so has R2-D2. And R2-D2 is on a mission to find Obi-Wan. Yeah. And so he escapes. Luke has to go out and find them. And he does this on the sly. He doesn't tell his aunt and uncle that they've escaped because he doesn't want to get in trouble. He's already sort of in trouble with them. And then we meet Obi-Wan. Again, it's like another layer to the story of mystery. Who is this This mysterious old guy living out in the desert and they call him a wizard they say that he's kind of crazy there was a scene where luke i think they're around the dinner table and luke is talking about how r2d2 played this message with this woman who was princess leia and he says something about obi-wan kenobi and Lars looks at brie owen and it was like they give him each other this this knowing (laughs) look like oh uh uh-oh they kind of play it off like, just stay away from him. So, yeah, no, he's he's really a pivotal part of the whole Star Wars universe and story. And he was he was sort of hanging around the area to keep an eye on Luke, wasn't he? Yeah. And there's a, there's an Obi-Wan uh, series that's being developed on Disney+. And I, I was just looking at the casting, and they're bringing Hayden Christensen back as Darth Vader. So I can't wait. to. It's going to be like a lot of the story that happened between episode three and episode four. So it's kind of filling in the gaps of what Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan was up to during that time. I can't wait for that. I just wanted to mention the brilliance of Lucas and the crew to make those two robots or droids so fun and funny and interesting. I love the accent. <laughs> Gosh. There has never been anything as in, as fun as those two droids from like robot character perspective. I think Robbie the robot was pretty good. These were really fleshed out like individual characters with their own little character arcs and stories within this movie. It was it was great to see them being portrayed that way. I read that uh, during the casting for the Obi Wan Kenobi role, that the Japanese actor. Toshiro Mofuno was considered to play that part. That would have been something. Uh, According to uh, Mofuno's daughter, her father turned down Lucas' offer because he was concerned about how the film would look and that it would cheapen the image of samurai. Wow. I don't know any more about that than, than really that part. But he would have been an interesting cast member in in just any role that was that was being considered. Now, some of this I find, and I, I realize, okay, is that really documented? Do we know that? I do not. I'm just going by one uncredited source. Well, Alec Guinness was was quoted a few different times in interviews, and you can find these on YouTube. Um, he was pitched the idea of Star Wars, and he his, his first reaction was, I don't do science fiction. And then he read the script, and he said that, well, the dialogue was pretty terrible, but I love the story. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that was basically what he said. And he says, well, if we can work on the dialogue, then I'm, I'm in. I think some of the dialogue was pretty um, stilted originally. But I mean, Lucas isn't known for writing great dialogue, but he is known for writing great stories and having great story arcs and, bu- and world building. And, and that's definitely apparent in, in Star Wars. And yeah, some of the dialogue is a little bit stilted, but it doesn't really matter because you're just so sucked into the world. Oh, totally. 
one of my favorite scenes is when uh, Luke and and Obi Wan are in Obi Wan's uh, kind of dwelling, and and Obi Wan is telling Luke about his father, and how he was a great fighter and star pilot, and he starts to introduce the idea of the Jedi and the Force, and we get to see a lightsaber, and that was so cool in the movie theater. And no, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. That's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And he was a good friend. Which reminds me, I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? Now the Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. To move us ahead a little bit, uh, our crew of uh, heroes uh, end up in that canteen. And that whole canteen scene. Yeah, before we get there, though, I really, really want to point out how there's a shift in Luke's character when they... Um, get back to the Owens homestead and they're every, and everybody's oh, been yes. killed After and that. there's a, there's the house is on fire and and Luke is now he wanted to go have an adventure but he this is not what he had in mind right he didn't want everybody in his family to die for him to be able to have that opportunity and i think it shows in in the way that he is portraying that character mark hamill in my mind is a really really good actor and i think he does a great job uh, portraying that change of character right there. And then he progresses to change even further as the movie goes on. But that was a yes. pivotal scene. It, it was very important for his his character to, to have that happen. I'm glad you came back to that because that scene also is fairly graphic for the, uh, for the movie in terms of how it shows the results of that attack on his, on his family. Don't we actually see like a burnt charred body like laying on the yes. ground? Yeah, it was... Yeah, yes. And the film is a PG rated 
as I believe, and I don't even think it's PG-13. So that scene is, of all the scenes, the most the most uh, visceral for me because of that remains. But that that's that's key. And, that, and then they move on to the canteen. I love the canteen because it's the wildest eclectic group of people that you could ever imagine. The force can have a strong influence on the weak minded. Do you really think we're going to find a pilot here that'll take us to Alderaan? Uh, most of the best freighter pilots that will be found here only watch a step. This place can be a little rough. I'm ready for anything. Becomes almost like a western right here, like a like you know they're going into a, there's so many how many western exactly. movies have a have a canteen like that? <laughs> I half expected to see John Wayne walk in, you know, in costume. Western movies don't have aliens in the canteen, but you know the 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 shady characters playing poker around the table, you know, like that kind of thing, and and then and then we get those two people that are two two creatures that come up to Obi Wan or no. Who do they come up to at the bar? And they were saying that you, you, oh, oh, it was Luke. They were giving Luke a hard time. Luke, yes, Luke. They were giving him a hard yeah, time. Yeah, they were just yeah. giving him a hard time. And then, uh, and then we get to see the first use of the lightsaber where he, where Obi Wan chops off that guy's arm. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You'll be dead! This little one's not worth the effort. Come, let me get you some. Well, also, it's interesting because it's this wildly eclectic group of people, but yet the bartender says that C-3PO's got to leave because they don't allow any droids in here. There's a message there that's... I missed that completely when I saw that film the first time. You're not wanted here. Leave, yeah. And this is the tragedy of the droids in the Star Wars universe because they are so um, ostracized, and they're really, I think, a stand-in for... If the Imperials are sort of the, like the Nazis, then it's like the, the Jews. You know, you're not welcome here. Or, or black people in the Jim Crow or South. Asians. Yeah, it's like they're fully sentient beings with their own personalities and, and their own sort of inner lives. They should be treated that way, but they're not. And they, they never really are in the... In the some people treat them that way, like Luke, Luke treats them that way. Yeah. But, but in society and the culture, they're, they're not that treated that way. It is like a Western cantina. And we get some action there, and of course they're they're negotiating with Han Solo about him and his ship and what it would cost to go and all. Han Solo, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. 
Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Karelian ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. What's the cargo? Only passengers. Myself, the boy, two droids, and no questions asked. What is it, some kind of local trouble? Let's just say we'd like to avoid any Imperial entanglements. Well, that's the real trick, isn't it? And it's gonna cost you something extra. 10,000, all in advance. 10,000? We can almost buy our own ship for that. But who's gonna fly it, kid? You? You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself. We don't have to sit here and listen. We can pay you 2,000 now, plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. 17, huh? Okay, you guys got yourselves a ship. We'll leave as soon as you're ready. Docking Bay 94. 94. And then Hans is trying to make enough money to pay back. Job of the hut. <laughs> and some guy comes in and gives him a hassle, and he just shoots him. Yeah, Guido. <laughs> uh, and I, I prefer the original uh, 1977 version of that scene where Han shoots first. In my mind, Han always shoots first. <laughs> <laughs> it's like James Bond and Dr. No. <laughs> what caught my eye when I saw that was he shot first. Yeah, yeah. And up until that time, it was always the bad guy that shot first. So it changed that whole thing. They secure the passage on the Millennium Falcon, and, and now we're introduced to a new character, and the world is expanded again because now there's these gangsters and these, these sort of like pirates and, uh, and like, what the heck is up with Chewbacca? I know. With, 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 be careful. He's, he's, he could be grumpy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. And like rip off your arm. I think I think the Wookiee was originally described as like a, a giant dog in the original script and uh, Lucas was pitching the film and one of the producers was saying, "I don't understand about this thing with the dogs flying spaceships, but I love the story and I know and I trust you and and, and I'm going to support you in making this." <laughs> <laughs> he ended up being more like the uh, Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, he's... a really big Bigfoot. You know, back to just a second to to C three PO. When you watch Blade Runner and you and you you start to feel empathy for the for the robots that have been off world for decades fighting wars and all. There's a similarity there in how they were treated. You know, like Rudger Howard's character. Yeah. And I oh I think the more I watch movies, the more I see threads of the same kind of thing running through all kinds of films as they build on one another. It goes all the way back to Metropolis. Remember that? Remember Metropolis and that scene where... Oh, yes. 1927. Was the robot's was name Maria? I, th I think so. How she, a robot or android, or I don't know how you would describe her, but became this sentient being and was, you know, led this revolution. It goes back a long time to the to the silent era of, of movies and I think is a theme in science fiction. It's just a general theme in science fiction, too. As we as we see our heroes, uh, they're finally on the Millennial Falcon, and they're they're battling the uh, 
the empire's attack. Yeah, but but we it slows down a little bit here because they have to, you know, they're on the ship and they have they're trying to go to um, Princess Leia's homeworld. They are playing that chess game. Chewbacca gets really mad because he loses. <laughs> but then Luke is like doing this thing with the lightsaber and he's got this helmet over his head and he can't see. And Obi-Wan is telling him to use the force. And Now be careful, R2. He made a fair move. Screaming about it can't help you. Don't have it. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. But sir, nobody worries about upsetting a droid. That's because a droid don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. I see your point, sir. I suggest a new strategy, R2. Let the Wookiee win. Remember, a Jedi can feel the Force flowing through him. You mean he controls your actions? Partially, but it also obeys your commands. <laughs> Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful Force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. I suggest you try it again, Luke. This time, let go your conscious self and act on instinct. <laughs> With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. <laughs> Stretch out with your feelings. You see? You can do it. I call it luck. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Look, good against remotes is one thing. Good against the living, it's something else. Looks like we're coming up on Alderaan. You know, I did feel something. I could almost see the remote. That's good. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Obi-Wan seems proud. Okay, you know, he, he's got it too. Because Obi-Wan knows that he's Darth Vader's son. And and the effects of the, that uh, practice that he's doing with the lightsaber, that took an enormous amount of work to make that work. Hand animated, right? It's like there was yeah. no computer. They had to do it frame by frame. and It looks so smooth when I watched it. So cool. Oh, and don't, let's not forget how amazing that light, that jump to light speed was when they first did that. Nothing like that had ever been seen in cinema before. That was amazing. <laughs> and and the, the, uh, old, old Han, is, Han Solo was, this always works, you know, and the, and the droid, or the... Uh, Chewbacca's grumbling, you know, and it, are they going to get it to work? When is it going to work? 
are you sure it'll work? Yeah. It's like he's driving a 1947 Ford. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it going to work or not? And and Han's always like talking up the Falcon, like this is the best ship in the in the galaxy, and, and like half the time stuff isn't working on it. I have to believe that that George Lucas, you know, was was loved cars and loved was a mechanical. He had a lot of interest in mechanical things. Those scenes that we're talking about now are much like you would find in a shop where somebody's trying to get a carburetor to do the right stuff. Totally. Or align the, you know, it's, it's right out. Of, he probably experienced that when he was growing up. Cars have a personality, you know. And it, oh, they do. I mean, the Millennium Falcon is a character in and of itself. He made them characters in the film through these quirky things that would happen with them and just sort of how the characters talked about them, which is great. And and so they come out of light speed and they think that they are going to be next to the planet Alderaan and it's not there. Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Charming to the last. You don't know how hard I found it signing the order to terminate your life you had the courage to take the responsibility yourself. Princess Lear, before your execution, I would like you to be my guest at a ceremony that will make this battle station operational. No star system will dare oppose the Emperor now. The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Not after we demonstrate the power of this station. In a way, you have determined the choice of the planet that will be destroyed first. Since you are reluctant to provide us with the location of the rebel base, I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. No, Alderaan is peaceful. We have no weapons. You can't. You will possibly... prefer another target, a military target. Then name the system. I grow tired of asking this, so it'll be the last time. Where is the rebel base? Dantooine. They're on Dantooine. There. You see, Lord Vader, she can be reasonable. Continue with the operation. You may fire when ready. What? You're far too trusty. Dantooine is too remote to make an effective demonstration, but don't worry. We will deal with your rebel friends soon enough. No. Commence primary ignition. this weird sort of asteroid field where the planet should be. And yeah. Han says something like, this isn't on the star charts. This should be where the planet is. And then they say, what's that moon out there? And then and then Obi-Wan gets this, this kind of blank look on his face and he says, that's no moon. Kind of look at it closer and they say, yeah, we, we got to get out of here. Let's turn around. And it's too late. They're sucked into the tractor beam uh, of the Death Star. When the Death Star is used to destroy the planet, the coldness... The coldness of Peter Cushing's character. He gets what he wants from Princess Leia and then goes ahead and destroys the planet anyway. And that goes on in our real world and had for centuries, you know, just a total disregard for human life. And they blow up the entire planet. I think it's a callback to things like the Hiroshima and Nagasaki atomic bomb or, or the firebombing of Dresden. It's like yeah. so extreme. 
the point is not only to have the destructive power of, of that, but also sending a message. It's the psychological impact that that has. And so the fact that they have this weapon now that can destroy an entire planet, that, that's got to be really terrifying for the rebels and, and, and anybody who would be thinking of standing up to the, the empire. Oh, it's totally, it's totally reminiscent of all those, plus the Holocaust. And, and later in the film, there's so much tension around, will the Death Star come out in time to blow up the next planet? It's the countdown. Yeah. It's going to come around. That's so well done. The planet, and, and it's going to have a line of sight on the moon where the rebel base is located on Yavin, I think it's called. We're on the Death Star, and we get these great scenes of them sneaking around and hiding and trying to avoid being caught and <laughs> and just kind of funny we, we get more of uh, han solo's personality there's a little humor, yeah. yeah and 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 chewbacca's personality and, and there's yeah there's some really funny scenes with the uh, c-3po and then they fall into that pit of lord what knows what's in there they find princess leia and they they break her out of the the cell and then she makes a comment of like can't get out that way. Looks like you managed to cut off our only escape route. Maybe you'd like it back in your cell, your highness. C-3PO, C-3PO! Are there any other ways out of the cell bay? We've been cut off! What was that? I didn't copy! I said all systems have been alerted to your presence, sir. The main entrance seems to be the only way in or out. All other information on your level is restricted. Open up in there. Open up in there. Oh, yeah. There isn't any other way out! I can't hold off forever! Now what? This is on rescue! When you came in here, didn't you have a plan for getting out? He's the brains! We are! Well, I didn't... What the hell are you doing? Somebody has to save our skins! Into the garbage, you flyboy! This is some rescue you got going on here because they're totally pinned down and they can't get out. <laughs> and so they go down the garbage chute. Okay, this is still all on the Death Star, but it does feel like another location. The, the, the use of these little sub-locations within the bigger location is great because it, it just continues to kind of build this world out. I remember thinking as a young person, I was like, oh yeah, what do you do with garbage on a giant spaceship like that? I guess you have to do something. And then they have like a creature that is living in the garbage pit that yeah. must like yeah. eat or somehow dissolve the garbage. I don't know. It's got to be a part of the sanitation system. Uh, totally. It looked like a giant one-eyed eel. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Or some kind of like octopus. And Chewbacca's freaking out. <laughs> yeah. He's like... And they're getting crushed and they're screaming and they're yelling at C-3PO <laughs> and R2-D2 to shut down all the trash compactors. Just shut them all down. <laughs> oh. 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 
been captured. Hurry. One thing's for sure, we're all gonna be a lot thinner. Get on top of it! I'm trying! Thank goodness they haven't found them. Where could they be? Use the comm link. Oh my! I forgot. I turned it off. Oh. Are you there, sir? Three me out! We've had some problems. Will you shut up and listen to me? Shut down all the garbage mashers on the detention level, will ya? Do you copy? Shut down all the garbage mashers on the detention level! Shut down all the garbage mashers on the detention level! No! Shut them all down! Hurry! <laughs> They're dying, R2. Curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. It's all my fault. My poor master. We're all right. We're all right. You did great. Hey, hey, open the pressure main that's on you. Where are we? Three two six three eight two seven. And and C three P was like, oh my gosh, they're getting crushed. And it's just funny. Yeah, it's great. There's so much character to three CP or three. <laughs> I can't even say it. I'm laughing. Uh, you know what I mean. C-3PO. He's got so much personality. That's perfect. And his accent is perfect. They're able to get back okay. to the Millennium Falcon. They escape. And then they have that great space battle where it was like a World War II sort of bomber. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, in the, in that bubble with the four-barrel uh, machine gun and reminded me of uh, 12 o'clock high with gregory peck and you really get the feeling that han solo and luke skywalker are bonding here because they're like yeah go get him i got it yeah let's do it (laughs) and then you also see that yeah luke skywalker is actually a good fighter like he he can handle himself right and again his character is growing he's morphed to another level he's not the whiny annoying kid anymore he's now becoming more grown up and he's taking on more responsibility and he feels like he needs to save princess leia and get the message to the rebels that there's this death star princess leia says are they away they've just made the jump into hyperspace you're sure the homing beacon is secure aboard their ship i'm taking an awful risk vader this had better work not a bad bit of rescue huh you know sometimes i amaze even myself That doesn't sound too hard. They let us go. It's the only explanation for the ease of our escape. Easy? You call that easy? They're tracking us. Not this ship, sister. At least the information in R2 is still intact. What's so important? What's he carrying? The technical readouts of that battle station. I only hope that when the data's analyzed, a weakness can be found. It's not over yet. It is for me, sister. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, and I'm not in it for you, Princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. You needn't worry about your reward. If money is all that you love, then that's what you'll receive. Your friend is quite a mercenary. I wonder if he really cares about anything. Or anybody. I care. 
she knows that they're they're going to track them to their... I, I know we're skipping over things here. We're just trying to hit the highlights, but uh, they get to the rebel base and they have the, another one of my favorite scenes is when they're they're dissecting the plans of the Death Star and they have those really rudimentary CG uh, graphics, computer-generated graphics of how they can shoot the missiles down into the core. Of- yeah. There was a design flaw in the Death Star that if you attack it with small fighters that you can get through the defenses and they never anticipated that small fighters would be used against the Death Star. And was, I thought that was pretty cool that they had that weakness. But the but the graphics in that in that in those scenes, and, and the flight of those uh, fighter pilots down through that channel had to be difficult to do, and 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 uh, you can tell that that must have taken a lot of time and effort to get that right to, to work. They're talking about how they're going to um, attack the Death Star with the small fighters, and that's its weak point. Luke looks at Han, and and Han says, "So." You got your reward and you're just leaving then? That's right, yeah. Got some old debts I gotta pay off with this stuff. Even if I didn't, you don't think I'd be fool enough to stick around here, do you? Why don't you come with us? Pretty good in a fight. Could use you. Come on. Why don't you take a look around? You know what's about to happen, what they're up against? They could use a good pilot like you. You're turning your back on them. What good's a reward if you ain't around to use it? Besides, attacking that battle station ain't my idea of courage. It's more like suicide. All right. Well, take care of yourself, Han. I guess that's what you're best at, isn't it? Hey, Luke. May the force be with you. What are you looking at? I know what I'm doing. I'm out of here. This is your fight. It's not mine. I have to go take care of this uh, price that's on my head. And that's pretty. That's a pretty good setup for what happens later when when Han reappears, because you think he's out of the out of the picture at that point. Oh yeah, and then he shows up and saves the day right at the end. Yeah, and then I love that scene where they're getting ready to go and and they're in the hangar, and Luke meets up with one of his old buddies and. You can really see how he's changed in this at this point. He's much more responsible. He's much more engaged. He's not whining. He's ready to go. He's the hero now. He's taking charge and will lead the fight. Yeah. Very much so. And I tell you, a lot of them die in their pursuit of getting down into that canyon and making it to the opening. It's very exciting. And Luke has to uh, ignore the electronics and the technology and go back to his, his roots as he hears the voice of Obi-Wan. Hang on now, too. Use the Force, Luke. Let go. The Force is strong. Trust me. His computer's off. Luke, you switched off your targeting computer. What's wrong? Nothing. I'm all right.
That whole run down the trench of the Death Star is so well done. Wow, it, it holds up too, you know, watching it today. And the way that they edited the film and the way they have the explosions and, and there, there's no scene that lasts more than just a couple seconds. Very, very quick cuts. They bring it to a personal level though because they are talking to each other over the radio and they're calling out their uh, call signs and they're saying, you know, watch your back or watch your six or he's on, you know, he's he, he's behind me and I, I can't see him, I can't see him. And so they make it feel like you're right there in the cockpit with these with these uh, with these pilots, which makes it way more exciting than just spaceships flying down a trench. And then who should appear? Darth Vader and his two guardian ships. Of course, his those ships are like cooler looking than everybody else's ships. Yeah, <laughs> and he's he's gonna take he's gonna take the lead in getting rid of all of them. He's he's a he's a hands-on commander. We don't know this when we first saw the movie in 1977, but we know subsequently that he's he's probably the best pilot in the whole fleet, except for maybe Luke Skywalker. Yes, so. <laughs> which I love how. Right at the last moment, everything kind of comes together. Darth Vader's like zoning in on Luke. Luke is hearing Obi-Wan's voice. And it looks like Darth Vader is going to take Luke out. And just as he's about to do that, out of nowhere, Han Solo comes with Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon. You may fire when ready. Command his primary ignition. kill Darth Vader but they knock him off into space and he's he's out of the picture and then everything is up to Luke at this point there's no distractions it's just him and this little tiny shoot where he's got to put these missiles down and the force and Obi-Wan and and of course he does it a billion to one shot that he would be able to yes. make that <laughs> and as the clock runs out and right as the clock runs out yeah and yeah because the Death Star is coming around they're about to fire off the the cannon the planet killer cannon Nope, just just in time, and they have this amazing explosion. It is the special effects there are really excellent, and I also like when when Han Solo shows up. He does kind of a Yahoo. He's, Yahoo! <laughs> it's all you, kid. <laughs> That's just such a great the old so west. Great. So then we uh, we've taken care of the uh, Empire. When you said it's the old west, it reminds it is kind of like those uh, movies where. They've got to dynamite the bridge or something like that, and, and they do it right before the, the train hits the bridge. The, or Bridge Over River Kwai, you know, and I know that was a, a really one of George Lucas's favorite movies and an inspiration for some of Star Wars. And they only have, like, seconds to do it. Yeah, yeah. How many times have we seen that in, in films? A lot, a lot. 
And then uh, there's kind of a black period on the screen and then the music starts and now we're back with the Rebel Force. circuits or gears will help, I'll gladly donate them. He'll be all right. <laughs> They're at this uh, huge hall, and there's hundreds of soldiers and officers and pilots. Like, everybody's there. And up in front is is our heroic crew um, with Luke and Han Solo and Chewbacca and C-3PO and R2-T2 and uh, Princess Leia. And they put a uh, medal around Luke and Han Solo and it always bothered me that they didn't give one to Chewbacca or the droids too yeah <laughs> you know? they were as involved as as the those two but the music it gets louder John Williams music and it's it's very regal in its sound and very dynamic Everybody, the, everybody in the rebel force, it seems like, is there for the ceremony. And then they all applause, and this—it's—it's it's like this amazing, like crescendo right at the end. And then it just does that circular cut, and then we hit the credits. What a film! If there was any suspense, I'll end it from my rating. It's a ten. Yeah, if I could go higher than a ten, I would. It's definitely one of my favorite movies in the top five uh, favorite movies of all time. A ten plus. Yeah, I, in my in my perusing around YouTube uh, and and the YouTube algorithms, uh, beneficence it it presented to me a 1977 or 1978 Siskel and Ebert uh, clip where they're reviewing Star Wars oh. because it was being it was being re-released into the theaters. Yeah, kind of like a second run, it, but you know it was. Uh, still really close to when it was originally in the theaters and they were talking about how even at that time they were realizing that this movie was going to change cinema gene at the very end we're seeing things blow up and i think the way this movie is shot different ways quick action like that it's like you're putting every person as a pinball player who walks into the theater maybe that's why people can see it a dozen times or two dozen times because it doesn't matter that you know the story you still have the sound and light the effects the explosions the uh the dogfight in outer space, it's just a never-ending visual delight. I the think only, it's, you know, it's a movie that will last for years. Yeah, the only thing I'm worried about is it's so successful and so mindless fun that I hope Hollywood doesn't forget that there are people who like to see serious pictures, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because on the one hand, I, I kind of see what he means because it was so action-heavy in this movie, but at the same time, it, ha it had a really great story, and I and I really did enjoy the acting, and the and the plot was, was good. But, you know, it's not... Maybe not a Citizen Kane, but it's certainly serviceable for what it needs to oh, for what it needs to be. Not to speak for him, but he may have been hearkening back to like the best years of our lives and Mrs. Miniver and 
you know, Gentleman's Agreement and all those films that had so much dialogue. Casablanca. Yeah. He probably, because he, he would have come up at the same time I did, and they were really heavy on the scripts and the dialogue and the, and the interpersonal. But there's plenty of that in this. That's for sure. And when you think about Empire Strikes Back, I think that's my favorite Star Wars movie, and, and it's, it's probably number one or two of my all-time favorite movies. That has a great story and great acting and great script. Hi, Haley. Hi. <laughs> Haley's trying to be super quiet. Hi, Haley. Wanted... It didn't work, though. Oh. Hi, Grandpa. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, I want you to check out my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oy vey! <laughs> how are you? I'm good. Oh, you look About great. About to start school and working a lot. Keeping busy, keeping busy. Say hi to Noah for me. I will. He's about to leave for his vaccine. Oh, that's right. You guys are just about all covered. Yep. It's Dad, Kyle, and Jaden. We're the only ones left. Only ones left. It won't be long. <laughs> have a great have a great week. Say hi to Noah. Love you. Love you. Love you, Dad. Love you. Well, that was nice. The cat the, I like seeing the cats too, but they never say anything. No, they're they're more quiet. Yeah, they're reserved. very very stoic. <laughs> what was your rating on? The, oh yes, you did you you did your rating. I, I lost my place here. We're both at ten plus. Ten plus, yeah. So that was our multi part two hundredth episode, and uh, we we made it. I can't. I still can't believe we did two. We've done two hundred episodes. I'm looking forward to what we do on our three hundredth. Yeah. Anniversary. Maybe we'll do the other Star Wars movies. A couple couple more years from now. Uh, Citizen Kane or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, Citizen Kane. Or we do need to do some that we haven't done, like uh, the best years of our lives, Citizen Kane. There's, I mean, there's an endless number. My yeah. mind was a whirl with choices yesterday when I was in that seminar that we're doing. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds neat that you're doing that Zoom seminar on movies from, from Germany between World War One and World War Two. Yeah, films from the Weimar Republic, and uh, they sort of and what we're going to be doing when Hitler comes to power. <clears throat> One thing I learned yesterday that I, I didn't know that <clears throat> back in uh, like the late 30s when Hitler was uh, doing his murderous uh, stuff, uh, Billy Wilder and Robert Siardmark fled Germany along with others, and then they were roommates in Paris for a while. Both of them went oh, wow. on to be really famous. Siardmark did... Uh, the Spiral Staircase and crisscross and one that we should do, Son of Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Billy Wilder had a fantastic career, but they, they got out while they could still get out through the borders. So it's wow. going to be quite a seminar. Yeah, no kidding. That's neat. I've already come up with one film that we can add to our inventory. It's, it's Robert Sadmark's film from 1931, The Man in Search of His Murderer. It's a wow. and it's a comedy. What? <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds like a film noir movie. That's what I thought, but we're watching that next week, <laughs> so I'll let you know. All right. Cool. All right. Well, that was our review of Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, and coming to you from North Bend. It's this is Matt, and uh, this is Bob here in Los Angeles. Wishing everyone happy movie watching. We did it. We finished.
Hi, Arthur Skolko here for Classic Movie Reviews, wanting to contribute a special Star Wars story. I'm so excited that Matt and Bob are reviewing Star Wars, the 1977 groundbreaking movie. I wanted to add a personal story. As an almost nine-year-old, was in Seattle, Washington, 1978, and David Prowse was on a tour greeting people as Darth Vader. I was in line, and many kids who were my age just excited to be there, some older and younger. My father just asked him, you know, can you please make a personal note from Darth to Arthur? He said, with a James Earl Jones Darth Vader voice, he said to me and my father and my mom, who was right there, he said, there will be no personalizing. And it was, I was quite scared. Everyone had a funny reaction to it. And I don't know that many people were asking him to do that. It was a big thrill and I wanted to contribute that.